Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that you long to speak to us, that if when we listen, we can hear you. And I pray this morning that you would speak to us, speak to our hearts, speak to our minds. Tell us what you would have us take from this passage today. For each one of us, it may be something different. Father, speak. Your servants are listening. Amen. So a passage that's got so much in it, a passage that's going to help us think a little bit more about what it means to be generous, to look and see how Jesus was generous and what we can learn from that. So Jesus and his disciples have come into Jerusalem for one of the festivals. We don't know which festival it was, but there were many festivals and it was traditional for the Jewish people to make their way into Jerusalem for various festivals. So that's why they are there. And while he's there, he goes to this interesting place called Bethesda. And at this place, which was a pagan site originally, there was a pool. And from time to time, the water in the pool would bubble up. And there was a belief that the first person that got into the pool as it bubbled up would be healed. So you can imagine it became a draw for all of those who were seeking healing. They came to live there. People who would have had no job, no way of having an income other than through begging. So a place full of um, sick people, people with longing, people who were desperate to be the first one into the pool as it bubbled up. And Jesus goes there and he meets this invalid. We don't know exactly what is wrong with him, but we presume that he's struggling to, to move. So probably a cripple in some way because he can't get down to the pool quickly enough to be the first one in. And Jesus offers him healing. At once he is cured, but it's the Sabbath. And when the Jewish leaders see this man picking up his mat and walking, that sense of carrying his mat deemed to be work, they are critical. Why are you doing this on the Sabbath? Well, I've been healed. Who was it that healed you? I don't know. And then Jesus meets with this man later and speaks to him. So a really interesting episode in the life of Jesus. And the, the more time I've spent with it this week, the more intriguing little factors I've read into it um, as I've gone through, which is great. But I want us to think, first of all, in what ways does this pas passage show us Jesus being generous in the way he acts? If we believe that God is a generous God, we see that enacted through Jesus Last week, we saw it about God in his very being, in his DNA, being a generous God. In Jesus, we see that in a whole variety of ways, but we see it in his actions, in what Jesus chooses to do. We see that sense of a generous God, Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, God with him, through the Spirit, displaying this generosity in the way he acts. So four ways in which we can see Jesus being generous with his actions. And the first is this, where he chooses to go. He's gone to Jerusalem to go to the temple. He's gone to be with other Jewish people. He's gone to, to celebrate a festival, to go to the temple to worship, to eat with others. And where do we find him? We find them at the place that nobody would choose to go to, the place that's full of sickness, the place that's full of beggars, 
the outcasts, those who probably wouldn't be allowed into the temple courts because they would be deemed to be unclean depending on the illness that they had. And Jesus chooses to go here. Generous in where he chooses to be. Not the place of choice for most people, but where he finds himself. And it suggests it's the first place he goes. Not to the grandeur of the temple, but to the place of sickness. Secondly, he offers healing. His actions allow healing to take place. But this healing isn't asked for. There are so many passages where a person comes up to Jesus and says, I know who you are, and I know you can heal me. Please heal me. And Jesus offers healing. But this man doesn't come to Jesus and say, I know who you are, please will you heal me? Jesus takes the initiative. He goes to the man and offers healing. And the man doesn't know who he is because even um, later in the passage, if you've got it open in front of you, it's page 1068. We see it in, um, so we're in chapter five, verse 11. He replies to the Jewish leaders, the man who made me well said to me, the man who made me well, no reference to who he is, no reference to what he's seen him do before. He's just a man who made me well. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. I find this really interesting. This man didn't know who Jesus was. And how often do we hear the phrase that you've got to have faith to be healed? Perhaps it's because your faith wasn't strong enough that that happened to you. And here is a man with no faith in Jesus who hasn't even asked to be healed, who is healed. I just find that so fascinating and so beautiful that Jesus offers the healing without being asked. He sees what this man needs, perhaps even more so than the man himself realizes, and offers it freely. He shows his generosity in offering that act of healing with no strings attached. The third way in which Jesus offers um, generosity through his actions is this. He offers hope where there has been despair. What a bleak place this must be. In my mind's eye when I read this passage, I imagine this beautiful colonnade, marble white and steps down to a bubbling pool and it's also wonderful maybe like a, a fantastic hotel somewhere in an island but it's probably not like that these are beggars who are there so again I've got to change how I'm reading scripture and take away how I imagine it might be to imagine myself there and to think why is it that there aren't others there because this is a place of of sadness of despair, of bleakness. There may be beautiful colonnades, but actually it's a place that I wouldn't want to be because I would feel uncomfortable. When we're in bleak places, it doesn't feel good. When there is no hope, when all there is is despair. What a terrible, difficult place that is. And Jesus comes into that place and offers hope. And interestingly, he says to the man initially, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, it said 38 years, he asked him, do you want to get well? Simple little question. 
And we assume the answer is, yes, of course, I want to get well. But actually, does he want to get well? He's been there 38 years. He's made a living out of begging. That's all he knows. There might be part of him that says, if I'm well, I don't know how I'm going to make money. I've got no trade. I've got no job. And if I'm well, no one's going to give me money because I don't deserve it. There could be part of him holding back on being well because he fears what the future might bring. And what would it mean for him? He might have accepted his lot as an invalid. Well, here I am. I can never get down. There's always somebody there before me. This is just what my lot is. I'm going to be here forever. That's so easy to do, isn't it? Perhaps he's even lost the will to be healed. He just cannot believe in a different future. He's lost all hope. We've known people like that. There'll be times when, even in our own lives, to hold on to hope is so difficult. It's been such a long time that we can't even begin to allow ourselves to hope anymore. Do you want to be well? It isn't the obvious question that it might appear. But Jesus asks it because he wants to offer hope where once there has been despair. And then the fourth way in which Jesus shows his generosity is this, in a willingness to break the rules when he knows that will cause upset. He knows it's the Sabbath. He knows what the rules are. He knows that the people are watching him. The Jewish leaders are looking for ways to find him out. And yet he's still prepared to love, to show mercy, to show compassion, to act. He's willing to break the rules. It's a short passage, but four ways in which we can see, there's probably many more, but four ways in which Jesus offers generosity in action. Choosing where to go, offering healing without being asked, offering hope where there has been despair, and being willing to break the rules when he knows that what the consequences of that will be. So how does that challenge us? To be generous in our actions. God is a generous God. We see that in the life of Jesus. We watch Jesus and we see the generous God in action in Jesus. And we say we want to become like Jesus. So how do we become generous in the way that we act? And taking this passage, what can we learn from what Jesus did? So let's go through those points again. Firstly, the people we mix with. Where do we choose to go? Where do we choose to spend our time? Are we willing to get our hands dirty and be in those places, be amongst those people where it's not comfortable? Jean Vanier is the founder of L'Arche. L'Arche is a community where able-bodied and disabled live together, where they live together in community where one is not better than the other. It may be that some of the more able help the disabled, but the more able are learning as much from the disabled and receiving from them as much. It's a dual benefit. It's a, a way of living together in harmony where they honor one another love one another, serve one another. But it isn't easy work. But he said this about this passage. He said, just imagine Jesus. He's going from one person to another, 
gently and compassionately touching each one, seeing each one as a person, giving a word of encouragement and peace to each one. This is who Jesus is, gently, lovingly, compassionately, being with people, touching them, caring for them, being there with them. Do you remember the huge media attention that Diana achieved when she shook hands with an AIDS victim? When there was fear and trepidation about how you might contract AIDS, the virus. And she went to a hospital and she shook hands with an AIDS victim, one of those iconic photographs that is still pulled out from time to time today. Because people were scared and didn't want this, and, and that sense of touch was so important. Jesus was there amongst those who nobody else wanted to be with, lovingly, compassionately, touching, showing his love, showing his concern. How do we do that? I want to suggest it's not necessarily only amongst beggars that we find those places of discomfort. Because in our society, there are so many people who are struggling for a whole number of reasons. And yes, it might be those who are homeless. I find it really uncomfortable going through big cities and seeing so many homeless people and not knowing how to respond. And that's my problem that it makes me feel uncomfortable. And so it might be doing things like getting involved with footsteps is our way of responding to how we see Jesus. But if we limit only to the homeless, to the beggars, we miss out. Because it might be that that person with mental illness, who's our neighbor or who we see in the school playground, makes us feel uncomfortable because we don't know how to respond. And yet Jesus calls us to be there alongside, offering generosity by just being there. Do you know, we don't have to have all the solutions. And that's a real problem in Western society. We think we've got to solve everything. And we're not worthy unless we can solve the problem. So being in places where it's uncomfortable, we run from. But to be there without solving the problem without worrying that we haven't got solutions by just being there. So many bereaved people have said, a lot of my friends didn't know what to say. They cross the road when they see me. Or the other, they tried to give me all the solutions and, and pat responses. And all I wanted to do was sit with them and tell them my story. And that can feel so uncomfortable to us. But that is who Jesus is, coming alongside those for whatever reason, are in pain, are suffering, and just gently being there. If we want to be like Jesus, who are the people that he's calling us just to be with? And in our own situations, it'll be different people, but that is one way in which we can respond to what we see in Jesus. Secondly, Jesus offered the gift of hope. What a joy. Bringing hope where there is despair. Tom Wright, who's a New Testament scholar, describes this. He says, Jesus is offering a new life, a new creation. And this new life bursts into the present world, bringing healing 
and new possibilities. We believe as Christians that when Jesus was on earth, the kingdom of God burst onto earth in a new and exciting way. The word became flesh and came to live amongst us. The possibilities of God's kingdom took on new meaning in the presence of Jesus. And with his death and resurrection, that kingdom has been established and we are part of it. So we are part of that movement of bringing hope where there is despair. Wow. What a job we have for that. But how much our world needs hope where there's been despair. And the best way to offer hope is if we know that hope in our own lives. And I want to go back to the question that Jesus asked the invalid. Do you want to be well? And I wonder whether we actually are not living that life of hope ourselves, so therefore are less able to offer it to the world around us because we haven't grasped what is open to us, what Jesus is offering us. I wonder if we get stuck in a pattern of life. We can be like that invalid. Well, we can't believe that life can be any different. Spiritually, we've almost got stuck. We know the possibilities because we see people around us and we're so good at comparing with other people and say those spiritual blessings are only for the holy, for only those who read their Bible for 10 hours every day and I don't do that, so I'm not going to get those blessings. And Jesus says, I've come that you might have life, life in all its fullness. And he offers each and every one of us a life of hope. No different to anybody else, expressed differently, but the same pot of life is available to each and every one of us. But sometimes we don't receive our pot. We don't receive the gift that is offered to us. And we run the risk of settling for second best. And I want to suggest that if we are not living lives of hope, we're limited in how we can offer hope to those around us. If we receive that gift of Jesus fully, then instinctively, naturally, that will radiate from us to those around us. And bringing hope where there is despair must be one of the greatest joy-giving moments out there. Why wouldn't we want to firstly live it ourselves, but secondly live it in such a way that we see despair break down and hope come in? So why do we not receive that? Maybe today we need to go away and think of ourselves as being a bit like that invalid, stuck for 38 years, always accepting second best, making excuses, there's nobody to help me get down to the pool. Someone always gets there before me. It becomes excuses after a while. And Jesus is saying, it's here for you. I'm offering it to you. Why don't you receive it? Don't compare yourselves with everybody else. Don't believe you're unworthy. Don't fear what the future might bring. You're not necessarily going to be called off to Africa. Why not receive what Jesus has on offer to us that we might be able to share that with those around? Again, I've been reading Jean Vanier on this and he writes this. It's so powerful. Many people today live in despair. Many people today are overwhelmed by despair. 
It's as if they are paralyzed in mind and heart, like this man in this story. They do not know where to turn or what to do in front of all the divisions, wars, corruptions, injustices, poverty, hypocrisy, and lies of our world. They have lost hope. Others are paralyzed because they feel unwanted, put aside. They are imprisoned in loneliness and anguish. Many young people feel they have no place in our overly structured and competitive societies. They seek to escape through drugs, alcohol, violence and sex. We are all in some way blocked by walls of fear and prejudice, unable to love and respect others and to share with them. This chapter in the Gospel of John reveals how Jesus comes to us and meets each one of us in those places of blockage and despair in us, where we are paralyzed by our own needs and weakness. He says to each one of us, do you want to be healed? And some people do not want to be healed. For 38 years, that man by the pool had learned to survive as he was. Now he has to rise up make choices, find new friends, find work, go to the temple. He has to learn how to use this newly given freedom and become responsible for his life. Before, he could accuse and blame others because nobody wanted to help him in his infirmity. Now that he has been healed, he can only accuse and blame himself. A miracle, and this is a miracle that has happened, is a sign of the love of Jesus who yearns to heal each one of us so that we can become truly alive and grow in love. We do not easily accept the risk of being healed in our hearts and of changing in order to become more loving and open to others. Do we believe that we are called also to become healers through our love? People in despair need to find men and women filled with hope, fully alive, who can reveal to them that they are important and lovable and help them to discover meaning to their lives. People in despair need to find men and women filled with hope, fully alive. That is what we're called to be as individuals and as a church, men and women, filled with hope, fully alive, that we can reach out to those who do not know hope and are stuck in despair. So my question today is this, do you feel fully filled with hope and alive in Jesus. Because if you are sitting here saying, I don't know that, that is something to work on. Because the gift is there. And Jesus wants to flood you with his love, with his grace, that you might live that life. And as we live that more and more, we can reach out to a world in our actions, but with that sense of knowing who we are at the heart of it and pour out that hope in places of despair. That's really challenging, because that's asking something about you, and it's not about an action. It's great to have a sermon where at the end you say, right, three things I need to go away and do, and that's how I respond. But actually, this is a heart thing, isn't it? This is about being honest with ourselves and saying, where am I with God? Where am I with Jesus? How am I living? And if you yearn for more, acknowledge it. Ask God to show you how you might break down some barriers. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to Kia. Come and talk to David. 
But don't settle for second best. Because Jesus has come to offer life in all its fullness. And that gift is for every single one of us. And he wants us to know that. And for that to pour through us out to others around us. And then thirdly, my final point. I'm not going through all the four specifically, but summing up in three points. Are we focused on religion or on life? Because the passage moves on from the healing to the response of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees just cannot cope with the fact of who Jesus is. And they're right to find fault. And they're going to pull the rule book out and say, right, you got it wrong again, Jesus. You can't be who you say you are. In fact, that shows that you're a blasphemer. Because if anyone who could possibly be the son of God would know the rules and wouldn't heal on the Sabbath. And their view is so limited. They have not experienced that life that I was just talking about. And so faith and religion has become a rule book. And Jesus has come in and has broken all the rules and ushered in the kingdom. And every time we act like Jesus, we do the same thing. Now, I'm not suggesting we go around breaking all the rules, and I'm actually quite a rule keeper. But there's something about understanding kingdom values against the world's values. And God's kingdom is here in order that we might be rule breakers against the values of society that are not of God. I listened to a sermon this week that was preached in a church in Guildford last Sunday. And it was talking about being insurgents for the kingdom. The passage was, take up your cross. And the preacher was saying that very often we read that passage saying, if you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to take up your cross, which means you're going to have to suffer. And he put a different light on it, said, who were the people who took up their cross in Jesus' times? It was the terrorists and the insurgents. Because that was the punishment for being an insurgent, was to be crucified and to carry your cross. So take up your cross may include suffering, but actually it's far more about how we're living kingdom lives and being insurgents. And he went on to talk about the simple ways in which every time we do something that ushers in the kingdom of God, we are being insurgents for Jesus. So every time we stand up for what is right rather than what is wrong, we do our expenses honestly and with integrity rather than try and not do that that way. Every time we go out of our way to help somebody when actually we'd rather be running on to do whatever it is we want to do, we're being an insurgent for the kingdom of God. Every time we make choices that share the values of the kingdom, we are breaking the worldly rules that hold us back and we are helping the kingdom of God to be ushered in. The kingdom of God is not a place The kingdom of God is how we live under God's rule. And it starts here. We don't wait to heaven to experience the kingdom of God. We experience it here. We live it here. And we are part of the extension of God's kingdom in the choices that we make. And Jesus lived a life that chose God's values rather than even the the values of the religious leaders. What kind of a life are we living safe and secure, or stepping out out of our comfort zones and taking risks and becoming insurgents for the kingdom of God.
Back to Tom Wright. With Jesus' resurrection, God's new creation project is launched upon the whole world. People still react angrily to it. Where are the followers of Jesus today who are prepared to say, Jesus is at work, and so am I? If we want to respond and become more generous in our actions, all we need to do is look to Jesus to see how he did that and to change some of the ways that we live. And so to sum up, Jesus showed generosity through action, through a generosity for all, even when that was uncomfortable, for every single person. He wanted to show generosity. He brought hope into places of despair. And in doing so, he ushered in a new kingdom of God's rule. What about us? What is God saying to you today? And it's tiny steps. Sometimes we hear a sermon and think, oh, it's all too much. I haven't even got the time to think about that because this is going to make such a huge change in my life. And that is not the case. It's the tiny changes that make all the difference. The tiny steps, the choices that we make on a day-to-day basis that change us and change the world around us. Let us pray. Loving Lord Jesus, as we come before you now, we're conscious of all that stands between us and stops us from entering your pool of righteousness. Help us today to know your forgiveness And to know as a reality in our lives your healing power. We pray that you would let the ripples of your love flow out from us to others. And that you would enable us to play our part fully in the renewal of your creation. Amen. Just for a couple of minutes, just to let that sink in.